Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Welcome to another episode of the Out of the Question podcast, and my co-host Charles Roberts is with me again. Hello, Charles. Hello, Andrea. Today, the question that's being posed is this, are you sure you are on the Lord's side? Now, to give a little background, there is a hymn, which I would say most people today, if they don't go to a church that sings hymns, old and new, wouldn't be familiar with. And the name of that hymn is Who is on the Lord's Side? And it was written back in 1877 by a Francis Havergal. Now, the first four verses are fine verses, but what came to mind as we were thinking about talking on this topic, this is how the fifth verse reads. Chosen to be soldiers in an alien land. Chosen, called, and faithful for our captain's band. In the service royal, let us not grow cold. Let us be right, loyal, noble, true, and bold. Master, wilt thou keep us by thy grace divine, always on the Lord's side, Savior, always thine. So it's important that as we fight the war that we find ourselves in, the war that Genesis 3.15 told us about, the war between two seeds, that we are fighting on the right side of the battle and that we don't get waylaid into other things. Agreed, Charles? Absolutely agreed, yes. Okay, so there's this concept called controlled opposition. And to define it, this is what the dictionary said. It's opposition led by government agents or the opposing side. It says nearly all governments in history have employed this technique to trick and subdue their adversaries. Notably, Vladimir Lenin, who said, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it ourselves. So, Charles, what are the implications for today in terms of the battles that we face on multiple fronts to be aware of the idea of controlled opposition? Well, at heart, it means we need to remember the exhortation of Scripture and the teaching of Scripture that the human heart is desperately wicked. And we sort of, in a, in a civilized society, what's left of it, assume that most folks are operating on an even plane. We're all on a level playing field to some extent. And even when we're not, people below us or above us on the social scale or whatever generally behave in something of an honest or honorable manner. And it's interesting you gave that quote from Lenin because as we were thinking about this topic, the first thing that came to my mind was the fact that Lenin acted on that statement. And in the early days after the Bolsheviks took over Russia and began to systematically eliminate Christians. In order to find out who their opposition was, they set up these phony anti-communist groups. So I'm just going to make one up, but it was something like, uh, you know, the uh, the Moscow Anti-Communist League, you know, or the 
um, the, the Moscow Smash the Leftist League. And it was completely run by the communists, but they would, they would set these up and see who would join them so they could not only find out who they are and recognize, okay, these are the people we need to get rid of. But like you said, from the definition, they manipulate these things to, to their own ends. And I think that especially in these times when the efforts of men to dominate the lives of others in so many different fields, and like you said, this is not new, but it is ramped up in a very high fashion in these times. So knowing this, knowing that there is such a thing as controlled opposition, and for our purposes, people who sometimes claim to be on the Lord's side are not what they appear to be. You know, there's a way that you can hear that question, and it's a more personal confrontational thing. Are you sure you personally are on the Lord's side? And that's something we all need to think about. But it would be more like, okay, there's this Christian group who's opposed to that, or there's this political party that's making overtures to evangelical Bible-believing Christians, whatever, and affiliating with this group and supporting this group or that group. Are you sure you're on the Lord's side in doing that? Now, some people will say, well, you're setting it up in such a way that you're basically saying, don't trust anybody. And in an era of social media, where people tend to read headlines rather than stories, or they actually go to the actual text of, that follows the headline and skim it through, it's very easy to be persuaded by things that are meant to alarm you or pictures that are meant to alarm you. What comes to mind is a lot of the hysteria on overflowing hospital ICUs and nobody's getting treated and we have to use the parking lot only later to discover those things were not true. So to someone listening to us, Charles, I'm sure the answer is, well, I guess I shouldn't listen to anything. I shouldn't join anything because maybe I won't be on the Lord's side and I need to stay pure. How do you respond to that? Well, God's law word also exhorts us to be wise, to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so this, this is not a prescription for a nihilistic, solipsist denial of all things that can be trusted, not at all. But it does require of us wisdom, and I'll use the term situational awareness. You know, if uh, somebody claims to be on the same level with us in terms of how we believe the absolute authority of Scripture, the, the absolute sovereignty of God, that will look a certain way and behave a certain way. I mean, and, you know, we'll, we'll stay within our own camp. I mean, people who have supported the Chalcedon Foundation over the years, who have been supporters of Dr. Rushduni, they have come from a variety of uh, denominational traditions. I mean, there have been Pentecostals, Charismatics, of course, Reformed Presbyterian people, Anglicans, all kinds of Christians who have supported the, the view of the centrality of God's law word and the sovereignty of God in all things, and the fact that the Bible speaks with authority about all things. So it, it's not that this person might have this little theological difference or other, but someone who really understands the message is not, for example, going to be promoting the state as an absolute authority over life in this area or that. So let's say there's someone who says they're a strong Bible-believing Christian, they want to support this, but they don't mind supporting government schools and promoting them. That's a sign that, okay, maybe there's something not quite right here. So those are the kind of things that the 
the large things that you can look for. But it's certainly not to say that you can't trust anybody. It's just be aware of what are the signs, the evidences that trust is warranted. And it goes back to a topic that we've talked about many times, and that is theonomy, the rule of life by God's law. Now, just to get it out of the way, because there may be some new listeners, Calcedon, Rush Dooney, we do not suggest that anyone is saved by the law. We are justified by the works of Jesus Christ, his righteous living, and his death on the cross. However, God's law becomes the way of holiness for those in Christ. So it's incumbent on those who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior to understand and, first of all, to know and then to understand his law word, because it's the law word of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if you don't have a standard by which to judge those you make alliances with, then it's going to be very easy for you to be among those manipulated to have your outcome be something that maybe the enemies of God want you to conclude. Yes, exactly. And we have seen how this has played out in a variety of areas. I remember back some years ago, and I'm, I'm going to be somewhat vague about this, but I will mention this, that when Congressman Ron Paul ran for the Republican nomination for president, he didn't get the nomination. But the result of one of those political campaigns was the formation of a grassroots, constitutionalist-oriented, largely Christian movement that really had some excellent points. But one of the major political parties recognized that this was both a threat and an opportunity for them to create what we're talking about, maybe not so much a controlled opposition. In some ways it was because that movement was a threat to the establishment, the status quo. And they very quickly put their operatives in place and largely took it over. And this is a prime example of, um, of what we're talking about here. So it's important to recognize that there must be a standard. And it's not simply that somebody can stand up and say, oh, I believe the Bible is absolutely true. I believe we need to promote more Christian morality and we need to ban abortion and we need to be concerned about the rise of the sodomites and all the rest of that sort of thing. People who are controlled opposition or who want to create that, they know the talk, they know the lingo. But again, by their fruits, you will know them. Look carefully at how they live and the things that they really promote and hold as valuable. And again, if you don't know God's law, you'll have a hard time judging fruits. Uh, a smile is not a fruit. Being nice is not a fruit of the spirit. So understanding how thoughts, words, and deeds go together and how they get applied. And I see over and over again, lots of people who will give lip service to, oh, yes, we have to follow God's law. We have to follow God's commandments. But when you get down to the particulars, there's some things they've never even considered. As simple as, I'll give a simple example that's not really the subject, but if you're talking to people about the legitimate biblical basis or illegitimate basis for property taxes, well, if the state's going to tax your property, the state is saying it owns your property because he who has the power to tax is really the owner. And yet the scripture says the earth is the Lord's. So how many Christians could even tell you why property tax 
and oftentimes that goes to funding public education, why it's wrong. If you don't know God's law, you don't know and embrace God's word, then you really have a hard time combating that which is wrong. And as we've had occasion to say many times in these podcasts, law is unavoidable. You will inevitably be under someone's law. And when you understand the teachings of Scripture and the authority of Holy Scripture and God's real word, there are only two sources of law, Almighty God, what he's spoken infallibly in his word, and that of humanistic man, and, and attempts to ape that, copy it, counterfeit it, and create a competition to God's law. Now, the only problem is, well, I should say there are many problems with that, but the main problem is, is that all attempts by humanistic man to compete with God's law always, always ends up with tyranny and evil. And people never seem to learn that lesson. And I think that's because people in, in positions of authority or power are vain, and they prefer to be assuaged with money and praise and these kind of things. But it's incumbent upon the average Christian man or woman to walk the path of righteousness and to understand that God requires more of us than to go forward at an altar call and get saved. He requires more of us than jumping on the bandwagon for whatever the latest conservative political fad is that's supposed to be the Christian position on something, this, that, or the other. There doesn't really need to be any confusion about these because it's already been well-defined for us in God's law word. And if people would simply read Holy Scripture and understand what sort of things were going on, you can see this. Now, if I may, I'd like to give an example, the sort of a, a type of controlled opposition there, there are many that can be found in Scripture, but this one came to my mind immediately as we were planning to discuss this. And it has to do with how Paul and a number of his associates, in this case Silas, were promoting the teachings of Christ in various cities across the Roman Empire. And in one place in particular, this is what we read in Acts chapter 17, verse 5. In a rather paraphrased translation, it reads this way. But some of the Jews were jealous, and so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, who was housing Paul and Silas, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Another translation, the Jews, full of resentment, enlisted the help of a gang from the marketplace and stirred up a crowd and soon had the whole city in an uproar. So I think that's a, a, a pretty good example of how this has worked, even going back to that part of human history, and we can even go back further. And last thing I'll say is I was reading in preparation for this on this particular topic and something that will be in the memories of perhaps some, if not many of our listeners, were the, um, the riots at the Democrat convention in Chicago in 1968. And we know now from documents that have been published and revealed that probably up to half of the rioters were working for the government and the FBI. <laughs> so we see these things all through human history. And people, again, need to be biblically, situationally aware. And I'm glad you brought up that we need to know biblical history. We need to know world history. We need to know church history, American history, because then we will be disabused of the idea that what we're experiencing in 2021 is somehow unique, unusual. You know, 
Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. And what remains true throughout human history is that God doesn't lie and his word is reliable. And today we have so many narratives that go on, which is really a personal opinion or an overt or a hidden agenda to produce a certain result. Now, what's the opposite of a narrative? Well, we would say fact. Well, even today, people say, well, there's my facts and your facts, and all you have to do is look at all the literature on this virus, and is it deadly? Is it not? Should you get an injection? Should you not? For every piece that you will see that says one thing, you'll find a bunch that say the other. So where do we find fact? Well, I submit fact resides in God's word. And so if we are going to look at the Bible as a factual representation of what God wants us to know and how he wants us to live, then we've got to go back to what I referenced earlier, Genesis 3.15, that talked about a war between two seeds. It's not between 25 seeds or 2,500 seeds. The war is a very, very specific one, and it goes back almost to the beginning of human history. So we have to know not only God's word and how to apply it, but we've got to see how it has been applied correctly or incorrectly through history so that we can have an informed opinion and then through prayer and the reading of scripture know how we should proceed in any endeavor, be it political or church-wise or anything that we find within our profession. Because if God's word doesn't rule, then as you pointed out, somebody else's will. When I began to learn the nature of biblical faith and the actual history of the Christian movement, I realized that many of the circles that I had moved in when I was a much younger man, much younger Christian, they didn't have that understanding. And I think this is true of much, I'll just use the term evangelical Christianity in these United States. And I, um, I sort of described it this way some years ago, that for the average evangelical Christian, American Christian, their understanding of church history and what has happened is that you had, you had Jesus and then you had the apostles and Paul and then you didn't have anything. And then you had this guy named Martin Luther. And then there was Billy Graham. And there's where we are now. You know, th there's all these gaps in their understanding. And we're, we're in this sort of eternal now with these folks. We're, we're, we're always on the verge of the immediate return of Christ and the rapture. See, we, we can't ever get away from eschatology in these kind of discussions. And I don't mean the, the distinctive perspectives of different schools of thought on end times. I mean, as you pointed out at the very beginning, God was making eschatological declarations about how human history and redemptive history was going to unfold across the fabric of reality. And there's a narrative that is going to be built around the meaning of life, the meaning of history, and it comes back again to this very simple way. It's either what God declares from Genesis to Revelation, or it's what the humanistic man has declared in a thousand different ways. And this is where I have found Dr. Rastuni's writings profoundly helpful. Mark Rastuni has written about this. Martin Selbredi has written about this, that we are witnessing in these days the beginning of the collapse of a humanistic world order. 
Now, you'd say that to people on any side of these discussions, and they think you're out of your mind. I mean, if anything, it looks like we're watching the humanistic world order rise to its strength and flex its mighty muscles, and things are just getting awful. You know, I mean, aren't we about to get the mark of the beast and all the rest of it? But you see, in order for humanism to collapse, it, it always follows this path. And you can see it with ancient Egypt, with Greek civilization and their empires, all the great empires, Alexander the Great, the, going back even further, the Tower of Babel, the Roman Empire, they reach a point where their worldview simply cannot support what they're doing and it collapses. It falls apart because they really can't deal with themselves and their evil nature. So understanding the nature of this reality and of this idea of controlled opposition, uh, it's not to say that we're living in happy times. We're certainly not, but understanding where we are and recognizing what the Lord would have us do in this battle and this struggle of are we, we could rephrase the question. Uh, are we supporting the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent? Where are we in this struggle? And it's an important question if it's, it's not so much an important question if you don't care. You think it's all going to pan out and you actually believe that you're not going to see difficult times. Well, that's such an insular view because all you have to do is visit the history of other continents, or even the current events in other places to know that Christians in other places have experienced enormous persecution. So number one, if you don't understand that part of God's plan is that his people glorify him by obeying him, and that it's not always a pain-free ride, then they might not, if they don't understand what it means to be in Christ and picking up their cross, then they will find it appealing to hear that when the real trouble comes, they won't be there. I had a conversation with a man who I do believe knows better about the rapture. He says, you know, I know it's not true, but I kind of hope it would be because it would be so much easier. Well, I didn't laugh in his face when he said that, but it really showed that he's not up for the battle. Uh, I'm not sure I want him on my right side or my left side as we're charging the gates of hell because he's really hoping for a leave before that happens. Mm -hmm. But if people who discuss like, well, we'll be raptured out and that the nation of Israel is really the Israel of the Bible they don't understand that that narrative is part of a controlled opposition. In other words, if you want to keep people tied politically to a certain agenda, then maybe just maybe insert some real theological error that the people who subscribe to it oftentimes don't want to discuss if you, if you say something like, well, you know, there's another way to look at this, or the Bible says this, people become invested in a narrative because they perceive it will benefit them somehow. Yeah. So it's important to get people on God's footing and separate biblical truth from sometimes heretical narratives, and sometimes just a pietistic narrative that says, don't get involved. Well, I'd like to pose a question that uh, it, it can either be rhetorical or you can take a stab at answering it. But we're talking about controlled opposition. And I think the question that's crying out to be addressed is, 
Who are the controllers? Who's doing the controlling here? What do you think? Well, I have actually some personal experience in this, and anybody (laughs) who knows my story will understand it. And I don't mind sharing my story with people if they ask, but that really isn't the subject of today. But this is how controlled opposition can work. So you have a group of people that want to achieve a certain end, and they are perceived by those who would call them enemies or opponents or adversaries as a threat. And so as you alluded to, what you do is you send in people who will look very much like them and say the right thing and pretty much go along with whatever they do. And those people are just reporting back what these people are planning. That would be one form of it. Another form would be that somebody would come in, demonstrate capability and be elevated to a point of becoming an expert or a leader, in which case, not only will plans be able to be reported back to whoever sent them in in the first place, but additionally can insert certain things that in the long run won't help the group. Then there's another way for controlled opposition And that's having a real, and I would say Rome and the Pharisees are a really good example of this. The Pharisees didn't like Rome. Rome didn't like the Pharisees. But think about what happened with Pilate really wanting to let Jesus go. And the scribes and Pharisees and the rulers were the ones who agitated the people and actually made the prophetic statement, let the judgment fall on us and our children. So that tension and each side trying to work the other, there are aspects of controlled opposition. So I I can almost hear people saying, well, how do you discover it? What shall you do? And my answer, Charles, is simple. Be faithful to the word of God and listen to those who claim to be your allies. And it won't be hard to hear areas where they're deviating from scripture, if you really know God's law. Yes, and I think that uh, the Lord has built into the fabric of his church and the way Christians are to operate a decentralized method and mode by which there won't be any one person or group of people who can gain that much power or authority. Now, we know in history it doesn't always work out that way. But there are some organizations that are structured in particular ways to allow, if not uh, not oppose, the empowering of a certain person, a certain group of people uh, who have absolute authority and no accountability. And that's not uh, a good scene in just about any kind of circumstance. We're, we're all accountable. And even if you do have like a church authority, a structure, regardless of whether it's congregational, Episcopal, or Presbyterian, the ultimate accountability is to God's law and God's word. We come circle right back around to this. And so in terms of the things that we've been seeing in our culture that we're all concerned about, and in some ways it also all comes back to politics, for example, is what is the foundation? Who is in control? And whoever those people are, whatever that group is, what is their worldview? Where do they see the voice of authority for which they operate? And I would be willing to guess I think on reasonably good ground, that uh, for 99.9% of the people in Washington, D.C., who pretend to be representing the people of this nation, their 
marching orders are not coming from Almighty God as revealed in Scripture. And I would add, Charles, that for conservative media, that is also true. Absolutely, yes. And, and this is where um, I can be a real killjoy watching television with anybody, because <laughs> I will point out that's not scriptural, that's not scriptural, that's not scriptural. But there are many times when you're watching a quote-unquote conservative news program or commentary that a guest will be on. And this is just a small indication. There are plenty of other examples. But on one of these news networks, you'll have an authority come on. And if you know anything about that authority, this authority is a quote-unquote married homosexual man. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're, we're, obviously, we're not going to have a problem with him if his politics match ours. And usually these things are slipped in. I know one commentator was talking to uh, a guest and the guest just in passing could have left it out, pointed out that she was bisexual. And then she continued with her thing. Now, to me, both of those instances were like screams, like, whoa, wait a minute. And I thought maybe I'm overreacting. So I was at an event where conservative type Christians were there and and they were talking about the first guest that I mentioned, who happens also, or at least at the time, I don't think he is now, trying to take California's governor's place in this recall election. And I pointed out, I said, you do know that this person is homosexual. And one lady said, but he's so good looking, maybe he'll change. And you know, but I'm really for him. And I thought, okay, not only is there a lot of work to be done to get people to think biblically, a lot of effective work by the other side has been done because these women were debating over the transgender candidate and the homosexual candidate and found the homosexual candidate preferable. So clearly they weren't standing on the word of God because both are considered abominations. You mentioned earlier, I think you, uh, you, if you didn't use the phrase, you use something close to it, that one of the things that leads to the production of controlled opposition is the matter of problem reaction solution. So if you are a person of manipulative power and influence and you want something done, you've got a problem. Maybe it's this loudmouth Christian group over here who are threatening the status quo of your politics or whatever, maybe even your church. And so you, you want to get to the solution of neutralizing them. So you, you create a, a reaction, a, a problem that will create a reaction that gives you the solution. You, you have a, a well-thought-out, well-regarded, solidly biblical Christian group, and you either co-opt one of the leaders by compromise, or you have someone show up and get involved who sounds all the world like the next best thing, the great guy, the great leader, the, the, the woman of vision, and all the rest of it. And the whole time, their whole purpose is to make you look bad, ultimately, by getting themselves into some scandal which was either anticipated or well-planned. And so therefore it destroys the credibility of the organization. But that was a part of the whole scheme. The problem is neutralize these people. You create a re- reaction that's going to get you the solution, which is have them completely done away with. 
Another tactic, and again, if you don't know God's law, you'll fall for it. How many times do you hear conservative reporters, commentators saying things about Islamic countries where do you know that they are harsh against homosexuality? And so we're supposed to go, yes, look at that. Well, what does the Bible say about it? So in that case, are these people correct? Now, not necessarily how they might carry it out, because the Bible is specific on how certain sanctions and the testimony and you have to have laws in place. But when people attack a supposed enemy by having a stand on something that the Bible says is a correct stand, you're undermining scripture because then people will use that as an example. Do you know that they don't allow abortions in that country? You know, and so now somebody's going to use that rock to combat something else. Well, Mm -hmm. the fact that America allows abortions and it's legal, well, that has a lot to do with God's wrath being visited on us. But when we start setting up God's law as the boogeyman, then we're really not on solid ground. It reminds me of something uh, Gary North said many years ago, back during the uh, the Gulf War, the first invasion of Iraq and all that business. He made a statement I've never forgotten. He said, when you find yourself historically having to choose between George Bush and Saddam Hussein, between the New World Order and somebody like Saddam Hussein, that's a pretty good sign that you are under God's judgment. Yes. And whether it's a gubernatorial race in California or wherever, whatever state, whatever other issue, if the conservative voice is a homosexual, a transgendered person, that's a pretty good sign that you're in trouble. And I'm reminded of a situation from Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham is fleeing into Egypt because there's a famine in the land. Now, the Lord didn't tell him to go there. He said, I'm giving you Canaan. That's the promised land. Follow me. I will be your sustenance. But he, he took the chicken's way out and he runs into Egypt. And if you know the story, he tells his wife, look, you know, you're a pretty nice looking woman. If they think you're my wife, they're going to kill me. So I want you to say you're my sister and that way I'll survive. She was eventually abducted into Pharaoh's harem. But guess what? The person who really stood out as the righteous man in that story was the Pharaoh. He's the one that comes to Abraham and says, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me this woman is your wife? But, but you see, it should have been Abraham. He should have been the one who stood up for righteousness and goodness. But sometimes, you know, the Lord has to use unlikely people to bring his judgment. And it's not a sign that Pharaoh has wised up. It's not a sign that he's a good guy. It's a sign that Abraham should have known better. And he was the one who should have been doing right from the very beginning. Well, that is a view. I would direct people to go to the commentary on Genesis. Dr. Rush Juni has a different view and looks at Abraham as the good guy because he believed God and he had the trust that God would keep his wife. And as evidence of that, when Abraham leaves Egypt, he is capitalized. He's given lots by Pharaoh. Dr. Rush Juni points out that if he had said he was her husband, he would have been dead immediately by saying he's her brother, which wasn't untrue, but it wasn't completely 
his status with her, he actually preserved his life because he believed that God promised that through him, the nations would be blessed. And as at that point, he and his wife had no children. So it's another view on it. But it also says that uh, God can use many different kinds of circumstances. Well, I'm glad you pointed this out, because then uh, it's another example where I can honestly say to people, I don't agree with R.J. Rushdoony on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. So if we go back to the original question, are you on the Lord's side? I don't think it means that you never work with people who don't see eye to eye with you on everything. However, if you're going to stand on the rock, you have to know the law word of the rock and you'll be in a better position. Now, I posed the obvious questions. Well, what do you do? How do you unearth these controlled opposition people, these agent provocateurs, these people who are in your midst? Well, I can tell you from experience and the experience of others, faithful Christians proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, why we need a savior, that we have a savior in Jesus Christ, sometimes converts the opposition and they become allies. There are many men who are strong Christian faithful witnesses and leaders today who will tell you they started off as communists. There are people who were involved in cults. There are people who were on the wrong side of politics or in academia. And so a faithful witness oftentimes is how God converts the people he's chosen. So we don't have to be afraid of these people in our midst. We just have to remember that as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, our first and primary agenda should be to share the good news. Yeah, and it also highlights that unfortunate people who have been co-opted into being part of a controlled opposition are on a task that is ultimately doomed. It, It will never succeed in the long run or sometimes not even in the short run. So that is another reason to be hopeful and also to to be wise and to recognize if you are finding yourself in a situation like that, that uh, yeah, I think this is not what it appears to be. But you have to seek the Lord's will and understand what his word is. Maybe you need to get out of that situation or maybe you need to ramp up your efforts to help this person see what the truth actually is. It really depends on the circumstance. You know, because if you've got somebody, you alluded to some of your past connections, you know, if you've got somebody involved in, for lack of a better term, false religion or a cult, and somebody from that group is sent to infiltrate people who want to do something about the evil that's going on there, I'm sure there have been more than a few who've said, wow, well, maybe there's something I need to be paying attention to here. You know, I'm reminded in terms of who is on the Lord's side, and you referred to that hymn. One of my seminary professors, we attended the same uh, church in the Philadelphia area, and sometimes in the evening, we would have sort of a hymn sing where people could choose their favorite hymns. And that particular professor, that was his favorite hymn. He always chose who was on the Lord's side. It's a great hymn, and I would encourage all of our listeners, if they've never heard it, uh, to find a hymn book and uh, look it up and Maybe you can find the tune somewhere online, I'm sure, or people singing it. It's a a great, great hymn. And it's a great question. Yes. And it's one we should ask ourselves regularly. And if you 
read through the Psalms, David's sort of asking that question all the time. He's Mm -hmm. saying, if I'm sinning, if I'm doing something that's not righteous, please deal with me because I won't be able to do the work you've called me to do if I'm in opposition to you. So this is really all about checking our loyalty, not wondering if I'm saved or not, because I believe that the people who manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit aren't those who doubt that they have the Holy Spirit, but they're those who want to make sure that their thoughts, their words, and their deeds are in alignment with Scripture so that they can be most effective. And we need to recognize, too, that there is, as I said earlier, there is a personal level to this question, and that's what David was getting at many times in the writings you referred to. Um, But for the larger picture, that we've been talking about. There's some Christians who don't really understand that the Lord has a side. He has a a side about everything. And so this is where, unfortunately, compromise comes in where, oh, well, you know, there's no such thing as a biblical view of education, of politics, of uh, health, what just a myriad number of topics. So the Lord's not really interested. We're not taking a side there because that's a neutral territory. And the encouragement for anybody who is involved in causes, in groups that are working to bring about righteous ends, just remember that if you are knowingly or unknowingly, which is usually the case, among people who are trying to sidetrack the agenda, if God has called them into your midst, then you have a responsibility to share truth with them. And many times in scripture, we're told, if we don't do this, then the blood is on our hands. But if we do, then the blood is not. And I'm somebody who was part of a controlled opposition many, many years ago, and the people around me did not know it, but I got to see them living as Christians, acting like Christians, and taking their faith seriously. So you never underestimate what salt and light you are, providing you're being salt and light. And I think this is an excellent place for us to wrap up this podcast. We want to thank all of our listeners uh, for tuning in to uh, our podcast. And we uh, would love to hear from you if you would like to send us an email at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. Till next time, Andrea. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.